He's on the run from the law, falsely accused of murdering his... Wait. Oh, got my scripts mixed up here. Ah, uh, here we go. This makes more sense. The Movie Wire Podcast with host Justin Henson. Hear Justin's movie verdict wherever you listen to podcasts. Tune in to The Movie Wire today. Mr. Spock ran an analysis of this Delta. It's not just a badge. It's also a communicator. You just press right here. The flipping it open is the best part. I like ours better, too. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Talking Smack, where we talk superheroes, movies, animation, and comics. I am your host, Josh Scar, and joining me this week is my number one, Matt. Matt, how you doing? I'm doing good. How are you? Can't complain. It's been uh, a couple weeks since we recorded, and it's really weird that we had that much of a buffer, but that's how the, uh, the What You Doings do for us, and uh, glad to be back in the saddle. Yeah, glad to be here and talking the month of talking Matt. <laughs> well, you said that's what you wanted for your birthday, so we that's what we're doing. Yeah. Uh next week <laughs> we're gonna be talking more comics and uh hopefully we'll be having a guest join us. We did intend on having Leo Allen join us for this week as he is a big Star Trek fan. Uh, but unfortunately just scheduling could not happen. Or we couldn't make it work with scheduling. Um and then also Alex, editor, our editor, Alex, I apologize in advance. I forgot to swap out my podcasting chair. I realized that when I hit play on the uh, intro. And so if there's any extra squeaking on my end, I apologize profusely to both Alex and the listener. I don't. Um, I hope Alex has to deal with a lot on my end. <laughs> All right. Well, this week, as part of Matt's big birthday month, we are talking his favorite thing in the world, Star Trek. Uh, more specifically, Star Trek <laughs> Strange New Worlds, uh, season two. Season two, baby. Season two of Star Trek Strange New Worlds was the only reason I finally took Matt's advice and started watching Star Trek beyond Lower <laughs> Decks, uh, just because it it because we we will eventually talk about it, the Lower Decks crossover episode. Yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, before we get into it uh, proper, though, I just had a. Something just to speak for myself a little bit, maybe you know, you can co sign this or not if you want. You know, I, I support the strikes and I'm not trying to violate any of the asks of the union, so we're, we're trying our best. I'm trying my best. You know, reasonable people can disagree reasonably. I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm trying to be as, as supportive as I can in that regard. So Hopefully you don't feel that we're violating any of that stuff. Maybe, like I said, maybe we didn't have to say this at all, but it was about on my mind. So I just wanted to throw it out there. Um, a couple of things before I get off the soapbox. Um, one of those, one of those watch long podcasts that I am very fond of is called um, a more civilized age. It covers, um, it started out covering star Wars Clone Wars recently was covering rebels and then decided to pause that during the strike. Um, and they recently did an episode with, um, Adam Conover from Adam ruins everything, other stuff. You probably see my college humor, things like that. And I believe um, he's, a, he's uh, a president of the writer's guild. He, I believe he's a negotiator in some capacity. He's, okay. a, he's very, yeah, very, he's a, he's a union representative at the very yeah, least. He's been very, very vocal about the strike and what's at stake. And they did an episode interviewing him really 
just really great conversation that helps if you're kind of curious what's going on, what's at stake. He really breaks it down in a, in a useful and entertaining way. Um, that was episode 68, I believe it was, a couple, from a couple weeks ago. They're at a morecivilizedage.net or any podcatcher you get. Whatever you're listening to this right now, you can probably find it there. And also, the you know, if you're if you're supporting the strikes and you feel so moved, they have something called the Entertainment Community Fund that is like kind of a lifeline for people who may be not millionaires who are still affected by the strike to maybe get some funds. Um, so that's my spiel. Like I said, that's just speaking for myself. Um, I would have felt weird if I didn't address it. So we can co-sign that or not. Yeah, I, I co-sign it too, and uh, I I do also appreciate you mentioning the the fund because uh, there are some people out there who I know that think that oh they live in Hollywood, therefore they must make two hundred and fifty thousand dollars a year minimum. Which yeah, right. We know that's not true just based on the writer's strike alone. Those guys are those people are making like twenty six thousand dollars. In year, some cases, yeah. yeah. In some cases, and they're they're producing like high quality stuff because it's what they do. Yeah, it's the and stuff we like, and we wouldn't be sitting here if it wasn't for those people. Exactly. The, there, there is no entertainment without writers, and uh, I mean that that even goes as far into like the things we've talked about with like comic books, where the yep. writers uh, and like guys like Ed Brubaker uh, with the Winter Soldier, uh, I think he went on record as saying that. Um, Marvel cut him a disgustingly low, like I think $5,000 check off yep. of their nearly $800 million movie in the winter soldier. And he got also yep. got a, a cameo in the movie. So like, woo. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's really, it's, it's tough out there, especially, you know, we could get into the atrocities of comics going way back if we really wanted to. Yeah. Um, but you know, so, you know, if, if you're listening and you are maybe of the opinion that, these people are rich shitheads asking for too much money. I would encourage you to listen to that podcast I dropped or anything Adam Conover has been talking about. Like they really gets into like who the people are that are striking, like the bulk of the people who are making this stuff. And it's really clarifying. I think even if you're someone like me who was already kind of inclined to support the strikes. Um, great episode. It's not four hours long. Um <laughs> You know, it's good though. Anyway, yeah, and Adam Conover is a good listen on most anything. Anyway, dude knows yeah. his stuff, and he's also he's willing to be wrong, which is really important in today's world. So now you can start salivating again. We can start talking about <laughs> Star Trek: Strange New Worlds. If you don't mind, um, I think I'll I'll take the early lead on this one and just talk about how this this show is really relaxing in a fun way like it does we talked about this with becky last week in what you doing where this does release weekly but each episode also leads itself to be watched like one day at a time or every couple days or once a week and i remember mentioning in our discord where (laughs) i can't remember exactly what followed up with it but there was like a really light-hearted episode that was immediately followed up with an alien slash the thing style episode. And I think that was like the episode before the season finale as well. Yeah. Yeah. So like episode nine out of nowhere, there's just this really tense episode where 
it, it Ricky, who does not do horror, I can do some horror despite the joking that we do. Um, like I, I really enjoy the alien movies. I enjoy the predator movies. Um, the thing starts pushing boundaries cause I don't like body horror. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like that episode, I was like, Oh yeah, this is, this is an alien homage. Yeah. Let's get into it. But, but it, it does take like a day or two to kind of like process the episode and be ready to move on. It's, it's not a bingeable show. And I say that in a good way. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Well, and that's, and they could, <laughs> it's funny that you mentioned the one, like the emotional roller coaster. Cause like, I think, this second season that just wrapped up takes that and like triples down on it. Right. Um, so oh, like yeah, the second you know, episode is just, whoo. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you know, if, if you don't know, strange new worlds is, you know, star Trek, it's about the adventures of the enterprise in the years before, you know, the original series, captain Pike from the one episode where he was like a mangled guy in a chair you know, before all that happens to him. And like, so, you know, it's, it's very classic style Star Trek where every episode is, you know, there's continuing through lines. Of like what's going on with this character? What's their deal? Um, but like every episode is like, Oh, there's a weird problem. We're going to solve it. And then next week we're on to something else. But like, you know, you were talking about the lower decks crossover and this season does this thing where it's like, here's an episode that where they cross over with, the goofy cartoon show with all the lightheartedness that, um, you know, suggests. And then two episodes later is their big musical episode. And the thing that's sandwiched in between them is this like story about like the horrors and traumas of war that has this like very ambiguously dark (laughs) ending that is like so tense and, you know, to repeat myself dark. So it's like, yeah, that episode um, under the cloak of war, it retells the, the story of the Klingon war from the perspective of uh, Dr. Mbenga and uh, nurse chapel. And the ending of that episode, which I will say up ahead, spoiler warning for season two of star Trek, strange, strange new worlds. Yeah. Basically any episode is up is fair game. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And season one, but under the cloak of war ends with this, really ambiguous ending like matt said where a klingon represent he's not really a, a representative he's a defector yeah he's like an ambassador he's like someone who defects from the klingons and he's like become an ambassador and he is like you know a notorious war criminal from the time of the klingon war which was somewhat depicted in the first season of star trek discovery and it's like someone that Mbega has like sort of kind of directly interacted with in the past. So there's this whole, like the whole thing is like, is this guy on a level can Mbenga like move on from his trauma? Like, does this guy deserve a second chance? All that stuff. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and the, the answer him. is the guy pushes Mbenga a little too far. And uh, it seems like nurse chapel and Mbenga lie under oath or on official record <laughs> at the very least to cover up what happened. But yeah. That's the beauty. That's it's such a real, it's such a great scene. And like, so the, there's the whole, the whole thing is the climax of the episode is, you know, this guy, this Klingon former like warlord is like trying to be friend in Benga as like someone 
who also was who was on the other side of the war. You know, it's like a kind of a PR coup for him. And Mbenga's like wanting none of it. So he goes to like give him one more chance to like be friends with him. And Mbenga's like, I don't want anything to do with it. And it cuts to this thing where, um, you know, in in the, the Enterprise sick bay, the, the doctor's like office, like his personal office is like covered in frosted glass, right? So it cuts to them struggling on the other side of the frosted glass. You can't really see what's happening. And it's very ambiguous. It's like, there's all, there's like a knife involved in the scene where Mbenga just has this like ceremonial knife. And it's like, okay, well, you know, did, did Mbenga go in, a, a, you know, intended to kill this guy? Did it happen on accident? Did the Klingon do something? Was it? Maybe Mbenga just had like this weird out of body PTSD experience and yeah, that maybe they're they're just covering for it. Uh, Chapel and Mbenga are, are covering it. We we don't know. It's wonderfully ambiguous in a horrible way. Yeah, yeah, it's really great, and it's one of those things where, like, you know, they the the Saturday before was a Saturday of Comic Con, and they dropped the big lower decks crossover as a surprise on like a non standard night. Usually comes out on Thursdays, and then they were like, "Surprise! It's Comic Con." Lower Decks episodes out today on Saturday. So, so it's like you're coming down from this high. It's like, oh, wow, we just had watched this really wonderful thing where they like kind of nailed it with the crossover with, you know, the animated characters coming to live action and doing really wonderfully. And then, the ne- you know, just a few days later, you're like, oh, God, that was the most intense thing I've seen in a minute. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me ask you, because, you know, you... You know, like you mentioned, you're you don't really truck with Star Trek that much for very you know whatever reason. You this is kind of an early, relatively new thing for you. So like, how did this season hit you? Like, what? How did you like it? I mean, you liked it clearly, but you know, yeah. There, there's a, I think there's more good than bad, or more good than meh. Maybe for lack of a better word, I don't think there's an episode where I was like, uh, that sucked. That was not good. Um, the very first episode, I think, was a little bit, um, a little bit cliched for Star Trek. Okay, I there there are some things, and they're like we we get a little hint of the Mbenga Chapel stuff where uh, they take that weird, let's call it venom from Batman. Yeah, the magic green uh, juice serum. <laughs> it, yeah, it's like this hyper adrenaline that just allows them to not feel fear and makes them super soldiers for a short period of time. Um, the episode felt a little cliched where like, oh, there's a new person here. There's this person that's off the ship and we'll, we'll meet up with them. And, uh, it it was a little scattered, but it just didn't quite land for me in, in terms of like, I walked away from that one feeling really great. Um, but it was, it was a fine episode. I, I felt like it was like, oh yeah, that's just another track episode and then we we touched a little bit on uh ad astra per aspera which is the courtroom drama episode uh which is just that one like i almost cried in that one because of like all of the undertones that they they brought to the forefront with that episode when star trek is good it's really good at that stuff well okay let me let me phrase it this way when it does that kind of thing that sort of lawyer drama courtroom drama kind of thing it's usually really good at it um so like it was i was happy to see that um, you know this mo- this basically lived up to that. Like it's a really wonderful little episode about um 
you know, the character Una played by Rebecca Romaine is like um, genetically modified, which is a big thing in Star Trek that the Federation doesn't like those people who are so like she gets found out and gets put on trial. And it's a whole thing about, you know, yeah, wasn't that a cliffhanger from the end of season one? Yes. Yeah. At the end of season one, she gets found out and um, arrested basically. Um, and that's a thing that, um, you know, they're tying it into like the wrath of Khan stuff where Khan was, you know, famously an augment, but it, you know, they touch on that in like deep space nine, things like that. So it's like, like a long time star Trek thing that I think they, they, yeah, they dealt with it really well. And it was a really wonderful little thing that, you know, it's not like a thing that, you know, the show was good, but that's the kind of thing where you're like, oh, well, yeah, this is the kind of thing Star Trek nails. So you want to see him nail it. And they did. And, you know, in my perpetual quest to get you to hashtag watch Star Trek, if you like that episode, <laughs> I, I have some other ones I can recommend to you. But honestly, there's an episode of the Orville that I could recommend to you that hits a lot of Man, that same stuff. We can't we can't do that. We can't get into that. Yeah. <laughs> This is the Star Trek episode, I know, <laughs> but the Orville is is kind of I, I do think it's a bit more like Lower Decks, where it's more of a love letter to Star Trek, where they they do a lot of the tropey things like they open up an episode where uh, it's the crew, you know, and then all of a sudden this rando appears and it's like, oh, hey, rando, we've known you forever. What a <laughs> wonderful time we're having. Oh, you're dead. Or, oh, yeah. you did the thing that makes the bad thing happen in this episode. Yeah. I mean, that's what, that's, that's the impression I've gotten too, where like it is, you know, I think it hits right before discovery kicks off like this new era of star Trek and, you know, mm -hmm. discovery is not to some people's tastes. So, you know, the Orville seems to me to be very, something that is very knowingly and like intentionally homaging the next generation that way. And, you know, I haven't, I haven't really seen it, but you know, to the degree that that show is great, that's not a bad thing necessarily. And I suppose apparently they do it very well. Um, you know, there's a guy called Bordis. I know that that's pretty wild. That's a weird name. Yeah. He's a, he's a Klingon like character. If I'm remembering correctly, it sounds like a Klingon um, name. Yep, Bordis. And then, uh, <laughs> there's a, uh, I can't remember the Android's name. He's not really an Android either, but uh, there there's, I think in the, third season where they just basically did like four or five movie length episodes there's one character uh who's the android he's part of the, uh, basically what is the borg but they're they're more interested in like understanding or collecting information not necessarily people they're not interested in like uh what is what's the term that the the borg use assimilation uh, assimilate. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're not interested in assimilating cuz they're also extraordinarily racist. They're like we're <laughs> we're the epitome of evolution as these higher being robots like you you organics can go rotten hell we're fine um but he the the android on the orville is there to like understand humans and try and like, gain a better understanding of it so that he can go back to his collective and be like hey i learned this and now we're smarter for it but he becomes more human through his time so it's it's really good stuff in my opinion yeah you know it's i cannot believe you pivoted this to the Orville talk. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it's one of those things where enough people that I know, you know, people who, people I know who like really like Star Trek and were skeptical of it 
have watched it and gone, oh, this is actually really good. Plus, you know, friends like you who don't have that frame of reference and watched it and also enjoyed it. So like, it feels like one of those things where at some point I'm going to have to give it a shot, but I'm like, most of the time when I'm like in that mood, I'm just like, oh, I can, I could definitely watch random episode of TNG again for the hundredth time, you know? Like, <laughs> so one day I will get around to it, but it's, it's, I just never, I'm just always like, I just reach for a Star Trek when I'm in that mood. So, yeah, I, I, I would recommend it. Just give it a, I would say give it like, if you start at season one, give it like four episodes. Okay. I know that's like a four hour commitment. Essentially it's like 45 minutes. So like maybe more three and a half hours, but if you're not feeling it after four episodes, I don't think it's something that you'd change your mind on. Sure. Um, I think the first couple episodes are a little rough just because uh, they're, they are trying to find that balance of like, let's make modern references here, but also pretend we're in the future. Right. And the where... Seth MacFarlane of it all, I'm sure. <laughs> I, I, I'm not quite sure where your, your Seth MacFarlane distaste comes from. Um, I can understand from like years of family guy running way too long. He just uh, seems like, like a really smarmy guy. So like whenever he, you know, whenever he's like doing something where he's playing something relatively straight, um, I'm like, man, I don't want to look at you for 45 minutes or <laughs> two hours of this movie or whatever it is, you know? Uh, I don't know. I, I think he plays the captain really well. He he finds a good balance. But let, let's get back to Star Trek, because um, I'm looking at the episode list here for season two. And I know I said there wasn't any episodes that I really didn't like. I forgot about Among the Lotus Eaters. OK, that's that's the episode where they land on a planet and like the radiation in the atmosphere or something causes them to forget. Yeah. And they they're lured back to this planet because a previous crew member is protected in the castle and he, so he remembers everything but everyone outside of it and like it, it's not even the concept we talked about this in the discord it's not even the concept that is behind this episode that really irks me or makes me think this episode is not that great it's the idea that they keep using uh laon gets laon gets injured at some point in the episode and they're like oh man she's gonna bleed out she's dying she's she doesn't have long and then they take five minutes for a soliloquy or they take 10 minutes to have a conversation about this guy who doesn't want to remember where his family is. He, he would rather be saved from the hurt of knowing what happened to his family than have to remember. And yeah. Just, and like Laon's injury is just like, I'm fine, guys. Just we, we won't worry about it until we talk about it again. Yeah, there's there's one moment. And I think it's it's the one you mentioned that it really stands out where it's like, um, you know, yeah, like you said, there's a castle where like they believe in this like this weird thing where they don't remember anything and they've only got like this weird culture that's sort of um, it's like a weird caste system where like the lowlies can't remember and it's fine, it's a blessing that you can't remember. Yeah, the but important they, people can remember and have to remember. Yeah, and they believe that like the memories are literally stored in the castle, right? So like the mission is we go in and we get the memories back and then we find out who we are and stuff. Right. So like you mentioned, Laon gets injured and then they're, they're like, that's, that's part of the impetus to like convince this guy to help. And 
to because Mbenga is with him. He's a doctor. He's like aware enough of like his skills, like his innate skills, to realize I'm a doctor. If I can get my memories back, I can help this woman and like save her. So they're like going to the castle and they, you know, are scouting it out. And then they they stop at like a to rest for a second. And then that turns into a scene where like the guest star of the week they get into his whole deal. And that is like, that's the one moment in that episode where I'm like, gosh, you guys should have talked about this like earlier, you know, like, um, you could, you couldn't talk about this on the way. Yeah. Like like while you're walking. Yeah. It's a framing issue, I think. Yeah. And I think they could have easily worked around that. They didn't need to put Laon in this, like, she's going to bleed out and die moment. Um, what they, 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 I feel like they easily could have just been like, we're motivated to get our memories because we have this memento around Pike's neck. Mbenga has his learning. He's like, I'm a doctor, but I don't know what I'm doing. If I'm going to do anything right now, I need to know, or I need to have my memories. And La'an could just, you, you could have like that intrinsic base personality. That's just driving them. Like that's what yeah. makes them. That's what makes them Starfleet. That's what makes them worthy of the enterprise. But instead, they have this weird pressing issue of Laon's going to die, but it's not that bad. Yeah, I think I think, you know, I think you kind of want that something like that just because that's how you get the exposition guy on board. Right. So, like, I get it. I just think that that scene in particular probably just could have used like you mentioned, if it's filmed more that they're like on the way. Right. Or make it a walk and talk. Yeah. Yeah. Or or if they frame it differently. Or if the injury is not as bad, right? Because, like, you know, it happens again a little bit later in the big climax where, you know, Pike is the only one who makes it inside and he's fighting off this, you know, former ensign or whatever he was who has, like, taken over this planet. Um, You know, there's a there's scenes where they, like, they stop and they're talking, but it's, like, it makes sense in the moment for me because, you know, Pike is still – he's doing the mission and they're, like, in their conflict – or he's like just realized that no, they don't actually have physical memories here. And what's he gonna do about it? We're like it's all wrapped up in the the climax of the episode. So it's not like you're not thinking about, oh, that she's like you're sitting here talking to this guy and she's dying, right? In the same way that you are in the previous scene that we've been talking about. That episode's interesting just because like the the setup feels like really like classic ass, like original series, like Star Trek shit i think it's aside from like the stuff we've mentioned it's i think it's a very solid episode it is weird that like that's like maybe the main like pike spotlight that we get this season Mm. and it's like an episode where he it's an episode where he doesn't have his memories right so it's like only sort of pike you know um (laughs) so that's it's a little weird and like the, the there's a degree to which i've heard i've heard maybe anton mount who plays pike he might have been on like uh, paternity leave or something so maybe he, that's mm. that's why but it feels like he's a little more de-emphasized this season which is fine because like you know that's, there's a whole crew of interesting people yeah every episode focuses on somebody else so like it's you know but it is a thing where it is a little weird where when you notice it you're like oh yeah like he he goes he they they get a reason to write him out in the first episode and they also find a reason for him like not to be involved in the court case in the in the lawyer episode and then his big episode that he gets is, you know, he's in it very much, but he's playing somebody who he's playing himself without his memories. So it's an interesting little thing. 
but I, I do think, you know, I like that episode, but I think it is one of the weaker ones of the season because, you know, looking at this episode list, so much of the rest of it is like, you know, that's, that's a good episode. Like everything else is like top tier. Yeah. One, once you get to episode five in this season, like, I don't know that there's a bad or even like mediocre episode in the, the rest of the season. Cause the, the next episode is charades where Spock becomes human, which I, I do want to talk about that. We'll come back to it. Uh, Lost in Translation is the one where uh, Uhura is hearing this weird pulsing sound and uh, they're they're mining, uh, what is it, deuterium? Yeah. Uh, and then you've got the, those old scientists, which is the Lower Decks crossover, Under the Cloak of War, which is the one we already talked about with Mbenga and the, the Klingon ambassador, uh, Subspace Rhapsody, the musical episode, which again, I do want to talk about before we get out of here today. And then the season finale, Hegemony, which is just another really good... It's like almost a 28 Days Later kind of episode. Yeah, it's like a big action sort of heist or siege um, episode with, again, yeah. like the alien one you mentioned from season one, also featuring the Gorn, where the big lizard guys. Um, and then the episode before the Lotus Eaters is Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow which is like the on time travel episode where she goes. Yeah. And, and that like, one plays a big role throughout the season. Yeah. And it's also or just at least a great, ripples throughout a great episode for, um, I just name is it Christina Chong, um, who plays Lon. Um, cause she's like, she finds herself as like in it sort of in an alternate timeline where something has happened in the past that changed the present. Um, so she has to go back to the late 21st century to, figure out what where the diversion is and stop it and she's got um like that that version that presence version of james kirk ends up there with her so like there it's sort of like a a two a two-person like buddy adventure um and just both of them you know i think paul wesley as james kirk this season is really great lon is phenomenal especially in that episode um, so like really strong episodes throughout. So like when we're talking about, you know, the, among the Lotus Eaters being relatively weak comparatively, like it's, you know, it's, it's still it's, high it praise, I think. Fine, but yeah, yeah, it's still high praise, I think. Like I think for, yeah, at least for my money. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it like I said, there, there's just this weird, uh, process that they decided to do with among the lotus eaters where the the ticking clock is someone is dying but the episode doesn't care enough sure to make us care about that because it's just it's a, it, they're like we need a ticking clock here's what it is and then here's the story and yeah. if you can kind of remove the ticking clock element from it i think it is a, a pretty solid and interesting episode but they just focus so heavily on that ticking clock a couple of times that it's like um excuse you yeah, yeah, right. So, you know, you, you mentioned a couple episodes that you wanted to make sure we talked about. So, like, I guess you take it away. Like, where do you want to start? Uh, let, I mean, let's start with the very next episode after Among the Lotus Eaters with charades. Um, Spock and uh, Nurse Chapel get caught in a weird. It's not quite a black hole. It's like a weird uh, anomaly that's on the surface of a, a planet while they're on a uh, a transporter. Or what are, what are those? The shuttle. They're the shuttle shuttles ship, when they're, whatever. yeah, the little ships yeah. are shuttles, yeah. Yeah. And they, they get caught in a, 
a vortex with the anomaly and the anomaly decides to fix them because they apparently died in this accident that was caused by them. They couldn't fix Spock because he was half Vulcan, half human. And so they just turned him full human because he was with a human on board the shuttle and to bring much to her wonderful timing. His, his has decided, yeah. Yeah. For, uh, this is a, this is a pretty straightforward follow-up from an episode in season one. She to bring has, notified spock that her parents need to have their is it their wedding it's not their wedding rights it's like some kind of ceremonial engagement yeah it's like an engagement thing where they have to like pass some tests and like meet the approval of the the parents and like her parents they're also vulcans are like and they're also racist yeah they're like sort of disapproving of spock to begin with and like low-key racist so it's like a very high for their relationship it's very high stakes so it's like a, a real hijinks episode where like spock becomes human fully human at like the worst possible time when he has to be like at his most vulcan Mm -hmm. yeah and i I thought that episode was a lot of fun because um who's the guy that plays spock um ethan peck yeah he just he plays spock so well and then being able to pull off playing human in a, a sense of the idea that Spock has never really fully uh, accepted his human side and allowed him to really feel because that's part of that's been part of his struggle going into this episode throughout the season is that uh, there's a moment late in season one where he lets his rage out. I think it might be the alien episode. Yeah, I think that's right. Where he he just like lets his rage loose, which for a Vulcan is very dangerous Uh, that if I if I know my trek lore that is basically what created the romulans the romulans accepted their emotion i think it's something along those lines where there was a split and there was you know in in the backstory of star of trek there was a period where like you know vulcans have emotions but they're like very powerful in terms of like the way that they the intensity not like they shoot laser beams or whatever yeah um so like there was a period in their past where like it basically almost brought them to ruin so the way they corrected was oh, we have to lock this down. So it's like Vulcans still have emotions, but they're like totally, you know, they. It's like in Futurama. logic over anything else. Yeah, it's like the in Futurama, they have the the Neutronians or the, the, the neutral people where there's that famous line of like the guy who sees his death in front of him as Zap Brannigan's about to crash a ship in, ship in front of him. He's like, tell my wife I said hello. Yeah, it, it, is, it is not unlike that to some degree. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the, the thing with this episode is is that the conceit is that he, Spock is sort of at like a, um, with the human part of him is sort of like a, at, a, at a younger emotional development stage. So he's like almost like a teenager, um, which maybe sounds weird like weird or bad but like it's an excuse for him to free and peck to like do all this goofy funny stuff and like have these emotional outbursts um and it and the whole thing is centered around this them trying to like teach spock to fake being a vulcan so he can make it through this dinner or whatever and you know a very just comic hijinks he tries Everybody. bacon for the first time, which is uh, a great trope for the whole, like, I've never experienced things before. What's something I should experience? Oh, it's bacon. Yeah. I'm going to overindulge and throw up. Yeah. 
Yeah, there's a great moment where like um, I can't remember the exact context, but like he, I think he, I think Dupree's mom is like really laying into him in a Vulcan kind of way, and he like excuses himself. And there's this moment where he just is like, like punching the air and like the oh most... yeah he excuses himself and he just starts throwing haymakers into the air because yeah like, god fucking damn yeah it, lady. the most impotent like expression of rage and it's just like it's, it you know it it does it sounds stupid when i describe it but it is such a funny like hilarious bit of physical acting from ethan pack who like you say most of the time is playing this buttoned up um character so it's a really fun episode for him to like really cut loose in that way yeah and it, it, it's also just funny because it, it's spock you know it's the guy who is supposed to be as buttoned up as possible and uh uh in the uh those old scientists with um the lower deck people um boimler even says like you're you're smiling and which like that whole bit's great God, uh, yes. but he, he's smiling and laughing like i i think he might have been body snatched or something <laughs> <laughs> so it's it's just really funny to see spock in a, in different circumstances and i think the the writers of the show or at least the showrunners of the show really understand the benefit to putting spock in unique situations especially as we get close to talking about the musical episode yeah yeah, it's a really then, uh, uh, charades is a really wonderful episode. That's all I got. <laughs> I do, I do have to say that um, I know in the Christopher Pine, J.J. Abrams movies that um, Winona Ryder was Spock's mom, but like, holy cow, did they choose a a wonderfully attractive woman to play <laughs> Spock's mom for this show? I was like extraordinarily distracted by the attractiveness of Spock's mom. The name of the actor escapes me. It's Mia Kirshner, I believe. Um, yes. And she actually also first appeared in discovery. So this is sort of an inherited, um, casting from that, but she's very fun in this episode where, cause she's a human woman who is married to Spock's father. So the whole conceit is like, she's here to help him basically because Vulcans can't lie. And that's basically what they're trying to get him to do for this, this charade. The whole thing is like, she has to teach him how to lie and fake it. And it's, she's very fun. And like you say, she's not, she's not an unattractive woman. <laughs> yeah. She is not hard on the eyes at all. Is there anything you really want to say about lost in translation? Uh, the follow-up episode to that, where Uhura is hearing the, uh, the weird pulsating. Not, not a ton. Like it's, it's just a solid, episode and it's another episode that features um paul wesley as as kirk um but he's teaming up with her this time and you know there's some creepy imagery it's just a fun kind of episode where they have a problem and they're going to solve it and it's good um but you know it's not one of the i, I was going to say it's not a standout of the season which feels like it's a slam but it's not but just because the the standout episodes are so good <laughs> that I'm not, you know, I don't have a ton of thought thoughts to ramble with like the other episodes we've been talking about. Yeah, and, and this episode is a little bit more Uhura centric, which is not to say it, it shouldn't be talked about, um, but it's more follow up from season one. Uh, she's still dealing with the loss of Hammer, and I think that this is also the episode where she and is it Pelia? Yeah, 
those two connect finally and it, it took six episodes but like I, I do feel like this that's part of the running theme with this season is that everyone kind of gets a moment with Pelia to be like oh she's all right yeah right and you know and Pelia is is um she she's the granny from uh the Adams family isn't she Carol Kane is her name. Carol Kane, thank you. I I am so embarrassed because, you know, ten minutes ago, if you just asked me off the top of my head, I could have I could have named it. She plays Valerie in uh, the Princess Bride, which I believe that's the uh, the liar liar. Yeah. Uh, in the hut with um, Billy Crystal, and then yeah, she is the granny from Adam's Family Values. She's also the ghost of Christmas Present in Scrooged. Yeah, and she's great, and she's you know mostly kind of a recurring guest character, but she's just a a delightful little weirdo as the like, new chief engineer of the enterprise just showing up and doing her like Carol Kane weirdness when she needs to. It's great. Um, and you know, it, she's a part of that episode with Uhura and Paul Wesley as Kirk is great. Um, I think they maybe kind of lean on him a little too much this season considering, but you know, it's, it's hard to complain when he's very fun and doing his own kind of spin on this really classic character. Yeah, the, I have no complaints about him as a character, as he's represented, since I don't really have a great tie to the, um, oh, geez, you're going to punch me in the face through the screen. I'm forgetting his name. Shatner. Shatner's a, he's William a, Shatner, yes. William, the William Shatner iteration. Or he's a piece of shit, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the, the one thing I will say about Paul Wesley in the role is I, I jokingly refer to this show as Buff Trek. <laughs> just because of how buff Anson Mount and um, Ethan Peck are in in their roles as uh, Pike and Spock, respectively. It, Paul Wesley, he's he's not unfit. I'm sure he's very lean, if not toned, but his his body doesn't fit with everyone else's <laughs> in the show. Like if he if there's anyone he fits in body type with, it's Jack Quaid, who is a guest episode in the, ne- <laughs> the next episode. Um and he doesn't interact with him at all. But he's a little like, lanky. He he is compared to everyone else and it just makes him look that much leaner. And I, I joke about it every time he shows up on screen with Ricky. I'm just like, he doesn't fit in the show. <laughs> everyone on the show is like unbelievably attractive. <laughs> And unbelievably talented. Oh, um, yeah. The the Subspace Rhapsody, like let's jump ahead a few episodes into sure. Subspace Rasp- Rhapsody, the musical episode. I, I think the only person who doesn't really sing all that well, which he still doesn't sound bad, is Anson Mount. And like you said, maybe he he had his role limited because of his uh, paternity leave or family leave. Yeah, and I do sort of wonder, um, you know, I think this episode draws a lot of natural comparisons to once more with feeling which was the buffy the vampire slayer musical episode mm-hmm. which i think in a lot of ways is like the pioneer of tv shows doing the musical episode and that episode of that show really kind of played toward the strengths of its cast rather than you know making people do things they weren't comfortable with where um you know famously allison hannigan as willow she has like two sung lines in that episode because like she was not comfortable singing. Right. So they wrote around it. And I do kind of wonder if that, and like, and Benga doesn't have that much either. I wonder if it's, I thought he sounded really good. Like maybe he didn't like singing, but I thought for the most part, he's, I was like, I need to hear more of him. Yeah. 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 Um, But yeah, I do sort of wonder if it was a thing where we're like, what's your, what's your 
skill level, what's your comfort level, and then kind of wrote to those strengths. And I think, you know, the, the one sort of half solo that Pike has is maybe the one that like you kind of suggest is like the one time that you kind of see the seams, right? Where it's like, oh, maybe he, yeah, he's not the best at this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I mean, yeah, I, I don't know, but uh, it was really fun episode. I don't think any of the, the songs are like, oh my gosh, I need the album right away, at least for me. Music is is an art, obviously, so therefore it is open to interpretation and people take it different ways. I think the episode is fun. I don't think it would be something I come back to just because I want to hear those songs. The only reason I haven't gone back to Once More with Feeling in a handful of years is because of the the specter of Joss Whedon hanging over Buffy anymore. But I, I, I will say that the episode... No one sings something that doesn't sound like it wouldn't come from that character, if that makes any yeah. sense. So yeah, like, it's a very competent episode. And, I, you know, I did recently rewatch that Buffy episode, and I think that episode is like a much stronger musical. Yeah. But this is still very competent, I think, where, you know, I don't think the music is as good. The songs aren't as good as that. But, you know, it's still a thing where it's like, well, they they went for it and they more or less pulled it off, which is like, yeah. And I talked about it last week where like when something happens to be a musical that you weren't expecting to be a musical, there's like a little moment of dread. And I was really curious what they're going to do with this episode because they, they released a teaser trailer and all they ever did was do the fanfare. Like there was, yeah, they didn't show anything about that. Yeah. Yeah. There was no melodies really that came with it. It was just alluding to the fact that like Pike was about to sing because he did that musical thing where he raises his hands just before he starts to build yeah, out right. a, a solo. <laughs> and uh, it's like, oh, man, what are they going to do with this? And like, I, I think the only disappointment that I had in this episode, which, as you were already talking about, um, I, I don't think it was fully necessary. Maybe someone just didn't feel comfortable with it. Um, I was really hoping we would have gotten a Spock and uh, Chapel uh, duet. Yeah, but that, that wasn't the focus of the episode. So like, I understand why it didn't happen. Yeah. And that plays into some of the stuff, like some of the, the minor weaknesses of this season, I think, which we can get into later, but it is interesting. Like the way that they handle this, the Spock and Chapel stuff specifically in this episode and the episodes around it. But yeah. And it's, it's just kind of fun just because I, you know, again, I can't, it's hard not to compare this to, the Buffy episode, because I think it is very similar in a lot of ways, like not least of which is that it's an episode where everybody's aware that like the, the problem of the episode is we're stuck in a musical. How do we get out of it? What's what, what is happening? Right. As opposed to something more like, you know, a scrubs musical episode, which is still also pretty good is about the conceit is, Oh, this person has a weird illness that causes them to see everyone singing as opposed to like, you know, it doesn't, it's not a world that lends itself to, oh, somebody cast a magic spell or a science thing happened and we're all singing now, right? So you have to kind of find ways around it. So it's that's part of the fun too, where it's just like everybody is sort of on edge because they know they're in a musical. And again, another thing, another similarity with that other episode is everybody knows that like the songs are the thing or the where you like confess your deepest, darkest secrets and feelings. Right. So it's like, you know, the whole thing with Laon is she has this whole thing with 
another a Kirk from another timeline in the previous episode we were talking about, and she's like, I have to like figure out how to get this off my chest before I accidentally sing it because I don't want to sing it, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. And then um, with Kirk, the one thing that I really remember from that episode, besides like it being a musical, is they did mention um, his love interest from the Wrath of Khan. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That the whole thing um, where she she's pregnant. Yeah. You know, I'm not a continuity like geek necessarily um, to some to a certain degree. I don't know that totally jives with Wrath of Khan, but it is like one of those things like, oh, OK, there's a nice little mention of the lore or whatever you want to call it. But that's an interesting yeah. wrinkle. Yeah. Uh, Carol Marcus, that was her name. Yeah, that, that's like the one of the few things I remember from Wrath of Khan, because I watched that for the first time, like eight or nine years ago. Oh, Kirk has a kid. Weird. Yeah. <laughs> they kill him off in the next movie. Oh, jeez. <laughs> While they're looking for Spock, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So well, they search for Spock. Yeah, that's right. Because the whole con thing, Spock dies at the end of two. Oh, interesting. I mean, they got to They got a Spider-Man him somehow. Keep him young. Kids don't like guys who are divorced. So let's just kill the kid. Yeah, right. And even though he's like an adult man, he's like, (laughs) hello, I'm your son, an adult man. And the next episode, he is dead. And then the the movie (laughs) after that is when they go to San Francisco in the 1980s to rescue some whales. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess he gets over it pretty quick. Yeah, we get to watch. I, I remember having to watch that for like five straight years in uh, grade school. Like, this is your Earth Day video, Star Trek Four. That's a it's a great movie. I mean, movie rules. <laughs> I, I do need to come back and watch it. That's on Paramount Plus, I assume. Yeah, I, uh, Paramount Plus, not a not a sponsor, but could be. So let's talk about those old scientists and then hegemony, and uh, let's get out of here, Matt. So. Um, the whole reason I started this journey, those old scientists, uh, starts off as an animated episode of um, Lower Decks, essentially. And I, my my in-laws, Ricky's parents, they reached out to me because they're like, what is wrong with this episode of Lower Decks, <laughs> of Strange New Worlds? Because my father-in-law hates animated movies, like he or animated anything. Like he does not like animation for whatever reason, even though it's a great storytelling medium. I'm trying to get him to watch a few episodes of uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels just so he has a bit better understanding of Ahsoka heading into the Ahsoka series, which I believe the first two episodes will be dropping the day this episode releases. So I'm not sure if we'll cover that with the writer's strike. Obviously, we're not going to cover it week to week, but maybe in a review format. I'm not sure. We we kind of covered that talking about it beforehand. Right, right. I'll, I'll weigh the options and see how things are looking on the strike. Yeah, and, you, got, uh, you got a lot of time maybe, for it to... Maybe Go. the show won't be good, so who knows? Maybe I don't want to open that can of worms <laughs> with Star, Star Wars if it's not good. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah, the, so those old scientists opens with an episode of a, a mini episode of Lower Decks where it's all animated. Boimler gets sucked through a transporter or a, a time portal. He ends up in the lo, the uh, Strange New Worlds era in live action. And I love the the line that cuts to the credits, which is, uh, oh, you look very realistic. <laughs> Yeah, played by Jack Quaid, who play who voices him on the show, and you know, and then in, later in the episode, Tawny Newsom, who plays Mariner, um, also comes to the past, playing herself in live action, and it's one of those things where, like, you know, the the lower decks animation style, you can you can, you know, I don't know if, how how much they modeled the characters on the actors who play them, even though like even if they did, it's such a simplistic style that 
any white guy could play Boimler, right? And in that way. Um, but even so, I was kind of like, ah, how's that going to play? Like when they, you know, it's the same actors. They don't necessarily, you know, they sort of embody the characters vocally, but I don't know how is it going to work in live action. And they just, they nailed it, you know? Like, it's a little weird because I think that both Jack Quaid and um, Tawny Newsom are like significantly older than those characters are supposed to be because they're all ensigns on the show. You know, it's you don't notice it. It's not like, oh, look, Boiler looks 35 or whatever, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's a lot of fun. They like totally embody their characters in live action. There's like so many little touches. There's a moment where like Jack Quaid as Boimler like shuffles away really quickly and awkwardly and does like... He's doing the Boimler power walk, yes. Yeah, for, yeah from the cartoon. And it's like, yeah, you, you, you completely just pulled it off like you can just tell everyone's having a lot of fun with it my my youtube algorithm got janked up because i was watching some of the this uh comic san diego comic-con stuff where they were like oh here's the panel for the this specific episode and by the way it's live and so now it's giving me like all of the uh the ready room youtube videos that are like 30 minute making of behind the scenes episodes of the episode that came out and so like hearing Jack Quaid talk about how he like went back and watched a bunch of lower decks because like we, as viewers, we watch this stuff and we pay attention to it, but like the actors, they don't care. They go in, they read their lines and then they go home after getting paid. Uh, they, they don't usually watch this stuff unless they're like really invested in the fandom. Yeah. And I think Jack Quaid specifically has said he, you know, before getting lower decks, he was not really a Star Trek guy. As opposed to like Tony Newsom, who like, you know, is on record as being a very big Star Trek fan. Like it's on hiatus because of the strike, but she and Paula Tompkins host like the official Paramount Star Trek podcast. And okay. it's all over that where she's like constantly just gushing about how much she loves Star Trek. So which I, I think that's so within the Mariner type as well, where she's like super cool and laid back and whatever. But she also just knows everything. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's a really good episode, even if you don't know Lower Decks. Like my my in-laws, even with the opening, they they were like, what what the fuck is happening with my show? What did I click something wrong? Once they got into the live action stuff, even my in-laws were like, this is really funny. This is really interesting. Yeah. And it's another episode where like the this, you know, you wouldn't think it because you don't think of Star Trek as being comedic. But the Strange New Worlds cast is like very good at doing comedy when they're called to do it. It, it all plays off really well. And like, I, I love the moment where uh, uh, Boimler is reworking their, their tracking system so they can find the Orion ship as a way to not mess up the timeline. He just has everyone turn around. Yeah. <laughs> don't think, look. Yeah. I think, I think Una is just like, is this really how we're doing this? And Pike's <laughs> just like, I'm rolling with it. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, there's a, there's a moment where I think it, Mariner called, you know, references Ethan Peck as hot Spock, like to his face, which is like, yeah, like, which I'm to understand is like a, a totally ad lib line, which is just wonderful. It's just, a, it's a yeah. really fun episode. Yeah. She says something to the effect of like, I was thoroughly unprepared for how, how hot young Spock is. Yeah. Something like or that. Was. Yeah. Yeah, it is really good. It just, it, it blends so well. You can be like, yeah, I can see how these two shows are related. Yeah, and it, you know, you mentioned the thing earlier with Boimler and like the the Spock smile. Like Spock is in this sort of portion of his story in this part of the season where he's sort of experimenting more with like expressing emotion, and so like he smiles a couple times. And but 
because it's in Boimler's POV, basically, it's like treated like a horror zoom in where we're like, (laughs) you know, like cutting, like zooming in hyper close on his like smiling, beautiful, smiling mouth. (laughs) Yeah. If it it was a TikTok video, you would get the the psycho theme, the ree, ree, ree. Yeah. Yeah. Because for him, he's like, he has this understanding of who Spock is. That's very similar to like what we understand Spock is from years of TV. And he's like totally horrified that these, this guy is like <laughs> laughing. And that's part of his story too, is he's like worried that something about, you know, the boiler is like very much trying not to change the timeline. And he's like, Oh God, did I do something like step on a, a butterfly or something? And now Spock is like an emotional powerhouse or whatever. <laughs> very fun. Yeah, really good episode. Like most of these episodes, it does kind of stand on its own. So you, you, if you like Lower Decks and you haven't given anything else a chance, you could come into this and be like, okay, here's a fun cast of characters and we will move on. Yeah, it kind of gives you a touch the, of like what what Lower Decks is if you haven't seen it. And the, the sound clip at the beginning of the episode uh, was from this episode, and I believe the outro clip is also from this episode. Spoiler alert. <laughs> so we we talked a little bit about or we teased a little bit uh, Chapel and Spock story, um, which gets into hegemony hegemony. That's a horrible title and a horrible word. I don't know how many I want to know how many outtakes they had saying that one line. <laughs> I mean, it's a real hegemony. word. <laughs> It's a it's a terrible word. Like someone needs to fix that word. But uh, but Matt, one of the things you were complaining about, or I shouldn't say complain. One of the things that kind of bothered you, and I know a lot of people through this season, is I believe at the end of um, the charades episode, Spock and uh, Chapel get together, and then the the show just kind of doesn't follow through with anything on it. Like there's little hints of it, like in those old scientists, Spock is happy because he's getting to bang Chapel on the side, which can't blame him under the cloak of war. He's trying to help her process having the Klingon ambassador on board, but she doesn't want to do anything. So he's like, well, me helping isn't helping anything. Subspace Rhapsody kind of just completely disregards it. Besides the fact that chapel is applying to a a fellowship and Spock's like, Oh no, my girlfriend's going to leave me. And then we get into hegemony, which is the follow-up from that. And she's just already, pre-packed her bags and she's helping already before her fellowship officially begins. Um, But can you kind of talk a little bit about what it is about this uh, lack of showing on the, the Spock and chapel relationship? Yeah, I think it's like a big, maybe like the biggest weakness of the season. Um, And which again, as you've heard a very strong season of TV, you know, from like the very first episode of strange new worlds, they're like sort of, doing this thing, this will they, won't they with Spock and Chapel, right? Which kind of harkens back to some stuff from the original series where they're kind of flirtatious and stuff like that. So they're kind of, you know, playing around with that a little bit. So really like it's like a season and a half that they've been sort of building up to this moment where they're finally in a position where they're going to get together, right? And then just because of the way the show is structured, you know, we have 10 episodes in the season and every episode is like a concept episode. Like it's a big, almost like a movie, right? That this, this episode, this is the horror episode. This is the musical. This is the, you know, the, the comedy episode. This is the crossover. From there, we don't get much of anything with the relationship. And it sort of feels like they kind of jump to where they want them to be at the end of the season really quickly, right? Where, you know, I think, I think in the her episode we talked about, there's like one scene of them, like just acknowledging that they're 
in a relationship. And then like the next episode is the crossover. And, you know, we were talking about Boiler's whole thing where he's like terrified of Spock's emotion being caused by like something he did. And he has this whole conversation with Chapel where she's like, oh, actually, like we are a thing. And he's like, I'm responsible for this. And not in so many words, but, you know, Boimler sort of spills the beans like, okay, well, you're going to not going to go the distance with this guy. Right. So you sort of, you know, sort of sows the seeds of doubt just a bit of like, oh, you know, maybe she's down in this relationship now. And the next episode is, is the, um, Mbenga one or the, you know, the war criminal one where like they have like a totally reasonable disagreement, right? Where she's like in this very difficult position emotionally because like she is reliving her own war experience and like being faced with this guy who she knows is like, knows to be like a, a really horrific person during the war. And Spock is like, I just want to help you. I'm trying to help you. What can I do to help you? And she's like, you can, you cannot help me process this because I just have to deal with it. I'm sorry. And then the next episode, the musical, sort of treats that like it was a much bigger like fight than it was, it seemed to me at least, right? Yeah, it implies that Spock and Chapel have kind of like distanced themselves from each other because like the response she gave him basically made him retreat a little bit and he's just giving her a bunch of space and they're not even communicating, even on big things like her... Fo- uh, applying for the fellowship yeah where it, re- it reads to me in the moment where it's just like hey man like you're kind of being overbearing i need some space this is like not a thing that you, we can just like talk our way out of i just need to process it right just give me some space and then you know and the whole big the whole big song chapel's big song in the musical is basically breaking up with him right and not in so many words either but it's also about like it is also stated that this is a three-month fellowship like you know which is nothing especially to a cling uh, a cling on a vulcan like spock who yeah. lives longer than most people yeah so it's just a weird thing where like it it does sort of feel like the relationship happens and then they sort of speed run to them being on the rocks for whatever reason right whether it's because we want to make sure that they're in that weird space in the finale where he like um He's sort of motivated. He's like, Chapel's in danger in that episode. And so that's sort of Spock's motivation is like, his drama is like, what happened to her? For number, it's, one of the, it's one of the weaknesses of a 10 episode season, I think, where as great as the episodes are, sometimes you just don't have the time to live in those relationships you want to. And so, you know, we don't, we don't know what season three will bring when it will even come at this point with the strikes, you know, you, you built up this kind of thing over a season and a half, and then it kind of just fizzled out in the back half of the season. You know, it's not like, it's not like the next generation was really heavy into the relationship stuff, right? Like it was very, it was much more episodic where you could just miss a ton of episodes and still come in an episode and get what everyone's deal was with each other for the most part. You know, you can kind of see how in like a longer season, 12 episodes, 15 episodes, 20 episodes, you know, you might space that stuff out more. So like maybe this, maybe charades happens earlier. And then you have some episodes where we're kind of just checking in on them once in a while. So it doesn't feel like you're suddenly jumping from finally we're together to, Oh no, we're on the rocks to it was bad. That was apparently bad enough. We broke up 
with no space in between, right? So it's it's just a weird thing, and I'm not like mad, I'm not like mad about it, but it's like it's just kind of baffling. It's like the it it's a weird pacing concept. Yeah, yeah. yeah and like if even if they found it in the in the budget to make it a, like a 13 episode season, like that gives you a little more room to breathe. Yeah, or if you if, if like charades had happened earlier in the season, I don't know. Like I don't know, you know, I I don't know how this stuff gets broken out or why you decide to do what episode would when you do things like that. But it is just like it's just a weird, weirdly structured in that regard specifically. Um, I think everything else is mostly on point, like with the character stuff and the arcs of the season. But that one is just like, yeah, what what's going on here? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, I I don't disagree. It, it was a little jarring to see what happened in under the cloak of war and then jumping into subspace rhapsody where it's like oh okay i guess this is done yeah um, and it's the kind of thing where like you know i think that song is great that's like one of the best songs in the episode but it's also a thing where like it's it's kind of like the, the cloak of war uh conversation where i'm coming away with like sort of a different understanding of what is happening than like the show is wants me to right where like it seems warranted that we there would at least be a conversation, right? At some point, like where these two characters come together and I'm like, okay, so you're like, your whole song is about how you like, you don't actually care what I think about you taking this fellowship or whatever. So what does that mean for a relationship? Right. Or like, are we actually broken up or what? Maybe in a longer season or a differently paced season, differently structured season, you would get that conversation, but we don't. So, you know, it feels like they're speed running the relationship and it, it does, it's kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, so let's get into hegemony and then uh, we we will wrap this thing up. Um, so just to speed run hegemony, we, we meet up with Nurse Chapel. She's on a planet that becomes infested with Gorn. There's a rescue mission because there's multiple points of interest because it's the Gorn. We've got Nurse Chapel on this planet and also the uh, the crew of the Cayuga is helping like restock their supplies. So um, you have Pike's girlfriend, you have Spock's presumably ex-girlfriend, and you also have the Gorn, which ties into a lot of La'an and a big overarching villain presence throughout the series so far. And they're all attacking like the most idyllic studio backlot town <laughs> you've ever seen. Yeah, it looks straight out of like 1990s, the, the Sandlot, like it, it's just a... This one strip town, more like Gilmore is about to walk, walk from, <laughs> you know, the left left side of the camera and with her coffee. She's going to. Yeah, she's going to get a coffee at Luke's, <laughs> which is so funny, because like one of the one of the funniest things about it is that like they are talking about when they're establishing at the beginning of the episode, they're talking about it and they like mention it as a colony that decided the mid 20th century Midwest is the best way to live. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're just like oh you, you just you couldn't figure out an explanation <laughs> so yeah we well, had a I mean, back lot that looks like a city of minneapolis yeah it, it's it's pretty much the same with tomorrow tomorrow and tomorrow where it's like um we we need an excuse to film an episode in canada so we can get a tax break on this series yeah right well even that has a good bit that episode has a good bit where like kirk from the 24th 23rd century is like we are obviously in New York city and like while well, he's sitting next to a big thing, that's like Toronto bus station or something. <laughs> yeah. So we, we get introduced to the new Montgomery Scott. Um, we also find out that um, 
uh pike's girlfriend um i'm forgetting her name captain captain battelle um captain i think Mitchell. it's captain marie battelle i don't think they name her until like way late in the season but okay Mattel. well that that's that's the trope is you don't actually need to know someone's name until you're gonna kill them or put them in danger because once you put a name to something you're attached to it right and i think you're right i do feel like i've heard pike say marie um so captain Mattel, uh captain of the cayuga spock's or spock pike's girlfriend and uh she's also infected with gorneg so we have a new ticking clock but the episode ends on a cliffhanger because there's a writer's strike so of course we're gonna end on a damn cliffhanger we don't know when production on anything's gonna start up again so we're probably minimum two years away from season three coming to us yeah for this show and that's that's like the like the i don't know whatever the opposite of a silver lining is right where the 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 season ending cliffhanger is like just a really wonderful Star Trek trope, right? Where you're ending the season and then you're you're ending on that killer stinger where you're like, I'm coming back. I gotta I gotta see what happens to this. But when it when Deep Space Nine does it, it's oh I'm coming back in three months because <laughs> you know tv used to be normal. the 90s when you only took a summer break and then you come back and start filming and you start releasing episodes for sweeps yeah we're like you know even even if there wasn't a strike we were looking at a minimum like a calendar year between seasons because that's how the shows operate now so you know i was i was into it in like the the way that i'm like oh yeah you know I, I love a good season ending cliffhanger, but then you're like, oh, wait, you know, in the best of conditions, we're a year out from this, probably more, depending on how long the strike goes. So it's like, oof. And th- that that also kind of makes it tough to judge, right? Where that that's another thing with those those two parters where they're not they don't always feel like a complete episode because they sometimes are not right where, mm-hmm. you know, you're writing a bunch of stuff that then someone has to come through six months later or however long it between writing to figure out how that resolves. So, you know, I, I enjoyed this episode. Maybe in retrospect, it will suck because the season three premiere totally biffs it or something, you know, find out in like 2026, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I remember looking over at Ricky and we were both just like slack jawed because <laughs> we're just like, are you fucking kidding me? Streaming shows don't do this. And then I like looked it up just to make sure that we weren't getting uh, like Shanghai or something or teased that like maybe an episode 11 will sneakily come out and uh, that will get conclusion there. No, that's just the end of season two. We'll come back to season three and find out what happens. Yeah. We used to be a real country where you could come, you could season ends in May (laughs) in September, your new season starts up. Yep. Um, there, there was one thing that came out of this episode that I did want to ask you about it. It it involves the Gorn because it seems like in the, the alien episode, um, there's this weird, like, Oh, the younglings, the, the babies like fight for dominance. And then they like the, the soul survivor will eventually get picked up by the pack or something like that. Um, but they, they've never really, at least in this show and with my limited, exposure to them they've never really ex- shown them as being intelligent so the fact that they have space suits space fairing and like warp speed abilities just seems really weird for this creature 
Can you explain them a little bit? Sort of, because the whole thing with the Gorn is that they appear in literally one episode of the original series. And it's like one guy, it's one Gorn who's a guy in a rubber suit that Kirk fights, right? So that's not a lot. Famously. Yeah, not a lot to go on, but that's the entirety of the Gorn appearance in all of Star Trek before Strange New Worlds. So I think they're they're trying to build it out a little bit. And, you know, I think they sort of allude. I think I think the big guy in a spacesuit on the destroyed Cayuga, spoilers, I guess. We we didn't mention that. I think it's sort of an allusion to like that that sort of version of the Gorn, right? Where it's like, oh, they're kind of just like big guys and they're intelligent. And obviously they have some sort of society and in you know higher intelligence because they can make spaceships so i think it's a thing they can also make like weird antenna that allow for communication disruption yeah right right so i think they're playing with it and like inventing it a little bit based on you know not a ton from the original series and i think some people were kind of frustrated or upset people who are really precious about like canon in like the first season because they are just kind of alien monsters right like very specifically like you you mentioned before it's an alien pastiche in the first season and and they they do homage alien again the first time we see the the big gorn in the the spacesuit because you see like the tail hook around and it it's it's very clearly like that's supposed to be a xenomorph homage yeah yeah but even that i think there's i think that the idea is like, oh, those are like baby Gorn who are like really vicious and monstrous. And then they become the big guy who is like in a spacesuit and can try and, you know, poke away at a console or whatever. So I think there's they're they're maybe kind of bridging that gap, but I guess we just don't just don't know yet. Okay. Well, uh one of the things that left this as a cliffhanger that we I, I forgot to mention as I breeze through this is the fact that the crew of the Enterprise is also abducted by the Gorn. So Pike is left with this, like, do I retreat or do I stay and rescue my crew kind of situation? Because obviously the longer they, he leaves them alone with the Gorn, the more likely someone is going to be infected with Gorn eggs. Yeah. And he's been like specifically ordered to retreat. Cause like this planet specifically is not in Federation space. Like that's the conflict of the episode. But partially is also like, how do we rescue these people without triggering a war with the Gorn because it's contested space and so the end of the episode is like Starfleet has said, get out of there now. It's getting hot. And then right as he finds out, oh, actually, the people we thought we rescued did not get rescued. Which, again, leads to questions about like how the Gorn operate, because they also have transporter technology. They uh, apparently have the ability to decide whether or not that something is an act of war. So, like, <laughs> what what are these things? Yeah, they're just big, smart lizard men may or may not be wearing rubber suits. <laughs> bringing back Seth MacFarlane one more time talking about uh like is like i think it might even be like the very first episode of family guards at least season one where that nerdy guy is talking about how you like yo you can see the, zip, the zipper here and you can't see the zipper here <laughs> you can see that it's william shatner's body double here and you can see that it's shatner here but overall no i i think this is especially as someone who is not invested in star trek that much um, I think this is a really fun show. I think it's a really good watch. Hopefully we didn't bore you enough with this nearly 90 minute episode. We'll <laughs> see what it is actually after uh, Alex hacks this thing to pieces. 
Matt, we're going to change things up a little bit here. Uh, do you want to let everyone know about our Discord? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Discord, it's a chat room service where you can hang out with your buddies, and we have a server. Uh, Talking Smack, if you like what we do here, which is to say if you like listening to me ramble to varying degrees of coherency about things that I like or things that I don't like, uh, and really want that just in text form, Discord's your place. That's that's where I'll be. That's where we all are. Come on in. And with that, the link is in the episode description. Uh, don't forget to follow us on all our social media platforms. That includes Lonnie's website, Instagram threads, Hive Social, Post News, Facebook, YouTube. We are now on TikTok uh, and again, Discord. Uh, if you have any thoughts, questions, concerns, you want to promo your podcast that you have or you want to send us some of your thoughts uh, about anything we've talked about or anything we will talk about, just send us an email at tsmackpod at gmail.com. Thank you to Leo Allen for this lovely music that you're hearing right now. Thank you to Beppo for our original avatars, Retro Royal Studios for our Bricky avatar. Please like, subscribe, rate, review on your favorite podcatcher of choice. It helps us out so much. And most importantly, thanks everyone for listening. Take care. Live long and prosper, Mr. Boimler. You also live and... Just pay your rent.